What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Factory Tour. I'm your host, Paul Patterson, back with you after a uh, little one-week hiatus. Enjoyed the the Thanksgiving week off, uh, watched some good football games, some bad football games. I'm back here after week 12, joined by my friend Mike, better known as Dynasty Zoltan. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Dynasty Zoltan FF. Mike, how are you doing today? Good, good. Great to be back on the show. Yeah, man. Should be fun. I'm very excited to uh, to dive into our topics today. Thought we could just start, though, with a little Thanksgiving recap. Um, there wasn't like a ton of actionable stuff to take away, but I definitely want to talk about Dak Prescott because yeah. his hot streak just continues for another week. Um, I remember, you know, early on in the season, he was really struggling to score fantasy points. It was just these weird lopsided game scripts. He was really underperforming passing touchdowns. I, I was getting to the point where I was kind of frustrated, like definitely was getting too low on him. Um, but now, I mean, he's just been on absolute tear. He's uh, he's the QB three on the season and he's just, he can do no wrong the last five games. So what do you, what do you make of this stretch from Dak and where do you see him now? I guess in the like larger quarterback landscape. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been incredible the last, uh, what is it, five over the last five weeks. He's got 17 passing touchdowns. Uh, he's got 30-plus points in four of his last six games and at least 18 in all of them. Um, really just been incredible, and it's interesting. He's producing from a fantasy perspective despite the fact that he's not running. You know, mm-hmm. we, we saw him rushing a lot when he was younger, getting a lot of rushing touchdowns. That really hasn't returned, but he's still been awesome, and it's just because he's passing the ball at such a high level. Um, I don't see it changing anytime soon. I think a lot of it is that the Cowboys have realized that Tony Pollard's just not the answer this year for whatever reason. And now we see Dak Prescott, you know, first in the in PFF rating, second in completion percentage. He's top five in yards per attempt, touchdown rating, big time throw, all this stuff. Um, he's he's just been a top five quarterback this season. And I don't see a real reason for that to change um, other than, you know, age related regression that we might see, you know, three to four years from now. But for now, I think we put Dak right back where he's been for the last three, four years, where he's averaging 22 fantasy points a game, kind yeah. of in that second, third level. Yeah, and I think, you know, they came out of the bye. They started throwing the ball a little bit more. Um, I know early in the season, it was also a lot of, like, short passing, and yeah, seems like they've been able to open things up a little bit better. It's really coincided with CeeDee Lamb being more of a featured player in the offense. Um, so, you know, it's not to say that, I, that this – didn't seem possible early in the year. He was obviously running cold on passing touchdowns and stuff. And there was, there were points, things pointing to regression, but um, I think this is just another in a long line of lessons that you shouldn't let variance over a small sample affect your opinion of a player too much, uh, especially when you have so many years of Dak Prescott being like a high quality fantasy asset, but also just like a high end actual NFL quarterback, um, which is sometimes missed in the equation. I think when we're, valuing players i was i was basically to the point where i was like why should i prefer dak prescott to brock purdy uh well, i think it was like during the san francisco game when they were getting the absolute just crap beat out of them but um but that was like that was definitely a mistake at that point and um so it's been it's been humbling to see how he's done the past month or so i will say one of my guests I guess right before this hot streak started, I had David uh, from the Bulletproof Discord on here, and he was preaching the good word of Dak Prescott. He was calling for, um, you know, a bounce back soon, and he's looking pretty smart now. You know, a month later, um, with with these performances, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the difference, like, you know, Brock Purdy five weeks ago was averaging more points per game than Prescott. Mm-hmm. Now he's still only two points per game behind Dak Prescott. The difference is, is that Dak is currently fourth in the NFL in expected points per game behind only Hertz, Allen, and Herbert, while yep. Brock Purdy is all the way down at 28th. And that's just a result of the offense. We have Dallas scoring 32 points a game, throwing the ball a whole lot. San Francisco relies on their defense and, you know, doesn't have to throw to the same degree. So that's why you're getting a huge gap. Um, yeah. Even though I, you know, my rankings I put out three weeks ago, I had Dak Prescott behind uh, Brock Purdy in the same tier. Um, mm. I still think there's an argument to have them in the same tier because I, you know, Purdy's seven years younger. Yeah. Um, I do think he is locked in there as a long-term starter, uh, but clearly Dak is giving you fantasy upside that you can't get from Purdy. So mm-hmm. especially for a win-now team, it's it's been a struggle this year trying to find a quarterback to buy as a win-now team uh, because mm-hmm. all of the producers were so young and so valuable. Um, yeah. And we didn't have the vets like Tom Brady, like Aaron Rodgers, even like Matt Ryan uh, a few years back. Now it looks like Dak Prescott's that guy that you can get for, you know, two firsts or less that really is going to carry you to a title. Yeah, he he's going to be um, he's going to be a key piece down the stretch for sure. He's helped teams, you know, secure the buy. I actually had a really fortunate situation in one league where I uh, I had Jordan Love to start the year. I did not want Jordan Love. I'd love to talk about him next, actually, because he played on Thanksgiving as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually traded him up into Anthony Richardson, who promptly got injured the next week. Uh, and then I ended up buying Dak Prescott off of a team that decided they wanted to rebuild. I got him for like a late first and a late second and 2-2 two, two Atwell because that was right there at his lowest point. Um, and I was like, you know what? I need a quarterback. I'm just going to buy in on the bounce back. This is a good price. Um, was eventually able to flip Anthony Richardson essentially straight up for CD lamb. And so the Dak lamb stack has been carrying me to the, uh, to the one seat ever since. And it's been quite a ride. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jordan loves an interesting guy to talk about as well. Uh, you know, yeah. he, I think he had his best game of the season uh, by quite a degree against Detroit on Thanksgiving. Um, and he's, he's looked really good uh, over the last few weeks. Yeah. It's surprising to me. You know, I, I, have been kind of a noted Jordan love doubter on this program uh, time and time again. And I mean, I honestly, I wasn't even quite aware of how well he had been playing the last couple of weeks because I just don't roster him anywhere. And I don't watch the Packers that often unless they're just on red zone. Um, and so I, I didn't realize, you know, I knew he had won some games. I knew he had had some better performances, but then it was pointed out to me that, you know, over the past month, he's been like the fourth highest graded passer per PFF um, something along those lines. And so, you know, it's possible we're, we're really seeing him turn uh, a corner with these young weapons in the offense, um, him, you know, having limited starting experience as well. So it's it's possible that he was overvalued and then actually undervalued. Yeah. Um, and now he's kind of reaching a point of equilibrium. But it seems pretty clear he'll be the starter moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first the first four games of the season, he basically had unsustainable touchdown luck propping him up when he wasn't actually playing that well. Um, He had a stretch from week two to week eight. So that's six games in there where he didn't have a yards per attempt above 6.8, which is below the NFL average. Since then, over the last four weeks, his yards per attempt has been above 7.2 every week. It's been above eight on average, and he's had his four highest graded PFF games of the year the last four weeks. So like you said, it looks like he's turned a corner. I think that 
given this is his first year actually playing, even though it's his fourth year, I don't think we should be that surprised about it. Um, you know, seven of his 18 big time throws, according to PFF, have occurred in the last three weeks. I think we're seeing a guy turning a corner and you mentioned those young weapons. We're going to talk about one a little bit later in this podcast, but he's got some interesting pieces there. No one really elite, though. So it's it's pretty impressive that he's able to perform like this without any, you know, go to options. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Um, you know, interesting. We had another young quarterback play on Thanksgiving, Sam Howell, who I, I know you've been a fan of. You projected him pretty highly for the season. I remember talking to you about the commanders yeah. in the summer, and, and I was shocked at your projection for Sam Howell. It turns out you were too low on him, uh, yeah. actually. So he's been pretty impressive for fantasy. Which of those two guys would you rather have moving forward? It's tough. I, I do think... Jordan Love has a significantly higher floor in terms of the number of starts uh, he'll have yeah. remaining in his career. You know, I think if I were to put the number of starts remaining in his career, I'd probably favor him by, you know, 15 plus games compared to Sam Howell. Um, right. I think there's a chance Sam Howell is not a starter next year. Or if he is, he's in a he's in a competition with, you know, J.J. McCarthy or Jaden Daniels or something like that. Uh, well, I think Jordan Love does have the role locked down. That being said, I still like Sam Howell as a superior fantasy asset when he does start. Um, he's seventh in expected points per game among quarterbacks this year, 10th in points per game. Um, that That is about a point and a half above Jordan Love. So I'm going to take Jordan Love in Dynasty just because I think he has a much higher floor. Um, and I do think there is some ceiling to him. I've actually liked the way that Jordan Love has run the ball recently. Um, but I, I still think that Howell is a, is a decent option as like a, you know, low end QB two. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it is kind of tough between them. Um, you know, coincidence, Eric B goes from Kansas city to Washington DC and, uh, Patrick Mahomes has his, you know, worst season and suddenly Sam Howell's just lighting up the scoreboard. Maybe he's, uh, Maybe he is onto something. I don't know. Apparently, his strategy is just throw the ball more than anybody else. Um, seems to work pretty well for at least for fantasy production. Um, yeah. So other than that, you know, not a lot to take away from Thanksgiving. We finally had Jameer Gibbs come back down to earth a little bit in a game, yeah. um, but you know, still still strong usage, still very encouraged by him overall. Amon Ross St. Brown continues to be automatic. Uh, there's nothing really to say about him except that he's just he's just on another level i mean he's just like he's basically having the same year as keenan allen except that he's like eight years younger than keenan allen so it's like they're just kind of the same guy in my eyes it's, it's unbelievable for a moment st brown i mean this season he's seen at least seven targets in every game he's had at least five catches and 56 yards in every game he's had at least 71 in every game except for one and if you go back even a last season He's only seen less than seven targets once in the last, what is it, 25 games. I'm just doing this by eye, but it's insane. Amon yeah. Amon Ra is as locked in 18 points a week as you could possibly hope for. He's he's unreal. I didn't even put Amon Ra St. Brown on the show sheet. How did you have all those numbers off just right there at your fingertips? Uh, uh, I have a whole Amon Ra like, <laughs> love diary. Uh, just uh, okay, gotcha. You have a, a shrine. You have a shrine. Yeah, he's uh, that guy. Yeah. I just love he, him. he's he's freaking awesome um all right i have a quick question for you and then we got basically two segments for the show the first main segment we're going to go ahead and re-rank the uh 2023 rookie ride wide receiver class knowing what we know now uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about trade deadlines and what to do if your league doesn't have one yeah um but first i just want to ask because i know this is a stance that you have um 
about Dalton Kincaid, who's really come on the last month or so. Um, but I know you have him ranked as your tight end one in Dynasty. I'm not quite there, but I definitely think he's in the conversation. Uh, I'd love to hear you just make the, the quick case for Kincaid as your tight end one. Yeah, for sure. And and for what it's worth, I do have Kincaid in a tier of five. Uh, for, sorry, four and then plus Brock Bowers, I'm projecting, is going to be there as well. So while I do have him as my tight end one, I understand arguments for Laporta, Hawkinson, and Andrews. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, for me, it's I had Kincaid as a higher graded prospect than Laporta coming out of the draft. Nothing I've seen has changed that at this point. I think Kincaid's in a better landing spot. There's more usage upside for him on a team that wants to throw the ball more, has a better quarterback, and really doesn't have good weapons. If you look at the pipeline, um, the Bills are going to start struggling with weapons, especially as Stephon Days goes past age 30. Um, So I'm pretty optimistic about Kincaid's usage relative to Sam Laporta. Um, What I will say about Dalton Kincaid is I don't like the way that they've been using him. His average depth of target is still only 5.7. That's incredibly low. I thought that in college he was incredible uh, in terms of his body control on the boundary as well as his body control and hands running down the seam. He's only been targeted on deep routes twice this season, and he's only been targeted more than 10 yards down the field 12 times. That That is pathetic. They're using... Dalton Kincaid, basically how Zach Ertz has been used over the last decade, which is fine for fantasy. And we've seen Kincaid's fantasy production being really good over the last month. Mm -hmm. It's not how I want him to be used. I think when Dawson Knox comes back, we'll see Kincaid get some more of those slot routes that Shakir has been getting recently where he will be targeted down the field. But for me, I just see so much ceiling with Kincaid. We've already seen the floor, which is basically a top five tight end at this point. Um, So that would be my argument for him versus Laporta. I think he's just a better player than TJ Hawkinson, who has been reliant on massive amounts of volume basically wherever he's gone. The scheme is amazing for Hawkinson, but I just have never really trusted the talent. And then Mark Andrews, it's just an injury thing as well as, you know, being 29 years old versus 24 for Kincaid. Yeah, I think that's totally, totally reasonable. And I agree those four guys are are in a tier. Um, And it can be it can be tough to choose. It's almost like your choice between them is a little bit dependent on just your team construction like i don't i don't fault anybody if you're you know shedding points and you want to build for next season around mark andrews i I can't fault you for that um it might seem counterintuitive to trade into the older player um in that situation but you're also getting a known commodity and he's certainly not at an age for tight ends where you're really too worried about the you know the end of the career um but yeah i mean with kincaid you just have to hope that at some point they do use him in sort of that more downfield because if they keep him in the role he's in, I mean, he, he is kind of going to be Hawkinson-esque. Um, yeah. You know, working his way down the field eight yards at a time. But there is proof of concept in college, like you said, uh, that he can do it. And and obviously being tied to Josh Allen is is a big plus. And and you look at guys like Hawkinson, like I we don't know if Kirk Cousins is going to be on this team for long. And if Hawkinson is all of a sudden the second or maybe third option on a team that doesn't have a good quarterback that isn't going to throw for 5,000 yards as a team, then yeah. you're a little bit more concerned. Although I will say Hawkinson has a 25% air yard share so far this season, by far a career high. And uh, that's a number I've been tracking for Hawkinson um, just to give the relative points for the other guys. Mark Andrews is at 19. Sam Laporta is at 21. And Dalton Kincaid is only at 11% air yard share. Uh, so that's right. that's just a, a bit of a numbers behind how Kincaid is really only being used in the short game. Yeah. 
Yep. But I think those guys are really the the cream of the crop. You got kind of Trey McBride behind them, Travis mm-hmm. Kelsey for your for your contenders, and then um somewhere back there, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, if you just hate yourself. <laughs> yeah, which I do. I do hate myself. Same here. Uh, yeah. I just took him in a startup mock draft for the site I write for in the fifth round. And it was just it's like, I guess, I mean, this is my obligatory pick, but it doesn't feel good. Um, yeah. So I, I already was sad about pits in the last show that we did. So I'm, I'm going to just move along. Yeah. Um, let's get into our main segment here. Looking at the 2023 rookie wide receivers. I was really excited to do this because this class has just been so, so good overall, but so weird in how they got there. Like there's just been so many, wide receivers passing each other like ships in the night, like yep. switching up week after week at one point, Zay flowers looked like the wide receiver one and then Puka. And now Puka maybe isn't the wide receiver one. Maybe it's tank Dell. So we're going to, we're going to look at these. We both ranked our top 10. Um, I went ahead and just combined them into a little quick consensus. Um, I broke my ties in favor of my own ranking uh, because I'm seems fair. To the show. It's your podcast. Um, that seems yeah. fair. But um, but yeah, so we're going to go 10 to 1 here, and uh, we'll just talk a little bit about each guy, what we think, how we got to this ranking. And, and I have some questions I wrote down as well just to to check with you and your process. So before we get going, can I interject sure. real quick? Please. So I did a lot of research on uh, this topic. I'm, I'm actually writing about this for my patrons this week. So it was it was well-timed. Uh, so I did some research on how good these rookies have been compared to precedent as far as rookie wide receiver seasons. So typically we expect your average rookie wide receiver drafted in the top three rounds to average about 32 catches and 430 yards for a season, which seems low. But again, this is an average Mm -hmm. top three round wide receiver since 2005. This year, our rookie wide receivers in that range are already averaging 32 catches and 411 yards, and they have five weeks left. So we can see some really impressive season by these rookie wide receivers Um, In terms of points per game, they're averaging 6.1 points per game, which would be fourth in the last 18 years. Um, And the wide receiver classes that beat it, the legendary 14 class, the Mm. 2019 class that's become legendary as well. And then the 2020 class again, Jefferson, CD, Higgins, IU, et cetera. So while I don't see necessarily the superstar like Odell Beckham or AJ Brown in this class, we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, clearly this is a very, very strong wide receiver yeah. class. Imagine how good those numbers would be if we just put Puka in the first round and Quentin Johnson in the fifth round, like they probably should have been. I, I know, right. <laughs> it's a, a, absolutely should be. Um, if you just want to look in terms of the number of players uh, I, I, I tracked every single uh, drafted wide receiver going back to 2005 in their rookie season. So that, um, uh, and the 2023 class had the most wide receivers in the top 50 in terms mm. of points per game. They had six. Yeah, so if I you just want to look at the depth of this class, how strong they've been, um, that's that just tells you a lot about the this rookie wide receiver season um, having you know six of the top 50. Yeah, it has been very impressive. It's been great, you know, rostering some of these guys. Um, we're going to start down at the bottom, though, where maybe not super inspiring. Um, we both had a different player at number 10, um, and these both of these were a player that was left off of the other list. So I had Marvin Mims as my number 10 wide receiver, and you had Quentin Johnston. Um, they've both been pretty disappointing overall. 
Yeah, um, Mims Mims kind of flashed some big plays early in the year, and it was like, oh man, once he gets on the field more, he's gonna do great things. Um, but then he just kind of didn't get on the field more, and he also stopped making those plays, and so he's sort of become a bit of an afterthought. And honestly, for me, just sort of a default pick here because I liked his profile. Um, but not expecting a whole lot from Mims moving forward. I, I did want to start with him though, because your list actually goes down through 14 and he was nowhere to be seen. So he's actually behind for you, Trey Palmer, Michael Wilson, Jonathan Mingo. So walk me through that. Yeah, I, I, I will clarify because I, I'm realizing that that's a mistake. I, I filtered to rookies with 30 or more targets as the basis uh, of my list. And he can't, and he doesn't have 30 He targets. has 21 targets this season oh, um, in 11 games. So that that's why Mims doesn't appear on my list. He would probably be 12th um, behind Quentin Johnson, Dontavion Wicks. Um, who who has been looking good? I know we're not going to talk about him, but if uh, if you're looking for a deep flyer, he'd be the guy. Um, yeah. Listen, Mims just hasn't done anything. Um, yeah, you know, true. he's got he's got 21 targets on 151 routes. That's what up to 14, 13 percent target share. He had a pretty poor target share in college. I know there were aspects of his profile, particularly his early breakout age, um, that were incredible. But I view him as a pure. Uh, one trick pony deep threat. I don't find him ever being anything resembling fantasy relevant um, just because he's going to get, you know, a lot of games with one catch for 18 yards, you know, a few games with two catches for 80 yards and a touchdown, but right. much like Donovan people's Jones before him, I, I'm not going to be investing in a guy like Marvin Mims personally. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's fair. I, I honestly might have to consider some of these other names after him. Um, yeah, he's at a 14% targets per route run for the season, but that's actually been lower in in recent weeks than it was earlier in the year. Yeah. So he's just he's got a lot of work to do to round himself out as a player if you know if he's gonna do that. But for now, um not actually doing much all that much more than uh than Quentin Johnson, who we'll talk about next, because you had him as uh, as your tenth guy. Yeah, and listen, Quentin Johnston has been absolutely terrible this season. Like there, there's no other way to put it. Um He's looked awful. All of your concerns about him in college uh, have come to fruition. I was very low on him coming out of the draft. Obviously, that's held for so far. Um, but there are some things to like, which is basically the fact that he is young, the fact that he was a first-round pick, and the fact he's tied to Justin Herbert. So I look at these guys, and from a dynasty perspective – I don't view a guy like Marvin Mims as having any upside. And while I think the odds of Quentin Johnston being valuable are very, very low, there's at least some chance there. So I'm going to take him. Also, there's the name brand, right? Like if he just randomly has a four catch, hundred yard touchdown game in week 18, someone's going to talk their way into him this off season. So I'll, yeah. I'll take Quentin Johnston over the Michael Wilson's of the world, but I'm not high on him by any means. I agree with you. I'm I'm actually going to swap those two guys right now and put QJ nice. as my tenth. Um, I think it was more of a spite pick to just leave him off the list. I don't blame. Um, you. But I I think you're right because he absolutely has sky more potential in the sense of like they could just throw positive reports out there in the summer and people will be like, oh man, here it comes for Quentin Johnson. Just needed a year to get acclimated to the NFL. Um, that can totally happen. And then you can flip him for a, you know, a mid second or whatever. And, and you'll be happy about that. And these other guys, they have a lot more work to do to get to that point. So yeah, uh, let's, yeah. So let's jump up to our next guy here where we were pretty, pretty much in agreement. Um, 
Jaden Reed for us ranks ninth. I believe he was eighth on my list, ninth on your list. Yep. Um, yeah. So, you know, I like what I've seen from Reed so far. I, I did think he was an interesting prospect. I loved grabbing him, you know, late second, early third in rookie drafts when I had those picks. Um, kind of started out the year with a couple of pretty like solid volume games and then kind of dropped down, but he's really been asserting himself in recent weeks. I think he actually had his best game of the season uh, volume wise uh, on Thanksgiving. And yeah, I mean, JJ Zacharyson likes him. Um, but there's, so there's a lot to like, he got the second round draft capital. So he's just an interesting, you know, interesting player who's already making some splash plays. Yeah. And I, I, I like Jaden Reed. I, I would just, ask everyone to put a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, water on that fire because he still is only seeing a 20% target rate. He is not shown to earn targets at any level. Um, maybe high school. I didn't go back to that, but in college he only, I believe had 730 yards as a senior. Um, yeah. He had Keon Coleman playing there with him, but his, his prospect profile is interesting. I like a lot of what he's done this season, um, most notably uh, in reception perception, Harmon had him second among rookies against man. But the issue, the issue is, is that I view him really as kind of just a flanker guy. Um, he's playing 78% in the slot, but he's not getting open particularly quickly against the slot. He's actually been more effective playing on the outside. Hmm. I view him as kind of a, a Darnell Mooney type. Maybe he has a Christian Kirk type ceiling, Um but for me, I, I'm not super high on Jaden Reed, and I think that this offense is going to be pretty egalitarian for a while. I don't see him as the type to ever earn a 25% plus target share. So long-term wide receiver four on your fantasy team is what I see from Reed. I mean, first of all, shout out for dropping the word egalitarian in oh, the football podcast. But um, second, I wanted to say, you do actually have tiers for these guys uh, do, listed. Yeah. And um and I have tiers uh, not written down, but in my brain. Um, and you have this guy. So you had QJ in a tier at the bottom and then read in your tier four, along with a couple of other names. So I'm going to be, I'm curious to see, you know, how you feel about him relative to those guys. Um, but, but I agree with you. I don't think the ceiling is especially high. I actually really like the Christian Kirk comp. Um, that would be a, that would be a pretty favorable outcome for him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this was, I actually had a discussion about this, um, in the bulletproof discord during, I think it was during Thanksgiving, he was having this big game. And I was like, guys, I think Jaden Reed is a sell. Uh, and they were like, for what? And I was like, well, I don't know if his price is actually there, but if somebody's going to give me a, like a late one, you know, like, a if somebody's actually willing to pay up, even if it's like a, a buy, buy teams first round pick, I'm, I'm taking that for sure. Absolutely. Like, I, yeah. I don't know how much you've scouted the wide receivers in this upcoming draft. I I'm not fully there yet, but I think Jaden Reed, he he was he was a late second round pick last year. He's clearly gone up, but I would not pay more than a mid second at this point for him. Yeah, I agree with that. He's 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 played well. You know, it's not to to knock on him. Um, it's just he's done well in certain areas, but not enough to say that he has this massive ceiling where you can't just re-roll him into a more exciting prospect in the upcoming class. Um, and next on our list, we have Demario Douglas, who. You're uh, you're notoriously high on. You actually That's got me. On, you got me on him. I was able to get him in a few leagues because of you. So I appreciate that. But um, but you had him. You have him in this same tier with Reed. Um, so why don't you walk us through the the Douglas 
profile and kind of how you view him moving forward too. Yeah, I absolutely love Demario Douglas. Um, as you said, I've been high on him for a long time. Uh, learned about him early in the offseason, mostly just to following Patriots camp very closely. Um, and he's been awesome. So in the last five weeks, he's run 25 or more routes. That's really when he's become a full-time member of the offense. Um, his yards per route run over that time has been 1.9. Um, overall, his yards per route run on the season is 2.01, which is fourth among rookies behind only uh, Dell, Nakua, and Rashi Rice. Um, and we just have a very efficient, solid, smart football slot weapon um, smart football player. He's really good after the catch. He's second in the NFL in yards after catch per reception. He's broken a tackle on 50% of his catches. Um, I just think he's a really solid player. who's going to be a pro for a long time. And obviously he's doing this all with Mac Jones at quarterback. Patriots are going to have a new quarterback next season. They do not have any other weapons in the offense. So I could see Demario being the number one next season as well. I just see a lot of upside for this guy. And I think, you know, I, I said early in the year, I think he's a future 80 catch thousand yard guy. Uh, nothing I've seen really has uh, put me off that path. Yeah. Per, um, per fantasy life's utilization report, um, uh, Demario Douglas is 26% targets per outrun is actually second of every wide receiver. We're going to talk about today yep. behind only Puka Nakua. So um, he's been very good at drawing volume when he's been on the field. I mean, I guess, I mean, I could probably draw volume if I was competing with Devonte Parker and Mike Gesicki for targets, but um, you know, you got to play the play against the guys that are on the field with you. And he has done a good job of that. Um, and he seems like he has some ability to make some big plays. Like he's not just a, uh, just a short area kind of wide receiver. So, I mean, they call him pop for a reason, right? I agree. I think there's more to his game. Um, uh, as far as being utilized down the field, we know how good he is after the catch. So yeah, I, I think there is yeah. more to his game. Yeah. So I, I think he's an interesting guy that like, it's very league dependent. Like some leagues, he's definitely rostered by people who like know what they have, but I definitely think of, of all the wide receivers that you could be excited about in this class. He's the one who's most likely to be rostered by somebody who just doesn't really know what he is. Like they picked him up off waivers in the summer cause they had a spot and um, they're not really, you know, paying attention to the increased usage. This is a guy I think you could definitely go snag for like a late second in a ton of spots. Um, and I would definitely go do that because he's, he's, turning himself into a full-time player, you know, like, like you said, not really a lot of competition there. Um, it's, it's not really, there's not a lot of outs for that to improve. Um, so I, I would just go and get the guy that we think is going to have volume and, and cash that in. Um, I'd be very happy to do that. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, next guy in this group, last one in the tier for you. I actually have him in a tier above, just above these guys, uh, is Rasheed Rice. I don't fully know what to do with him. Like I have him kind of in a tier by himself between the group we just talked about. And then my next group, um, because I mean, I wasn't in on him as a prospect at all. Like I was like, okay, great. The chiefs drafted another bust in the second round, you know, right. hello, Mr. Nicole Hardman, sky Moore, Rasheed rice, right next in the long line. Um, but he's done some, you know, some pretty interesting stuff so far. The chiefs refuse to just play their best wide receivers. So he's still, only has a 47% route participation on the year, but 25% targets per outrun. That's just behind Demario Douglas. Yeah. Um, very efficient yards per outrun. I mean, he just, he's done some cool stuff on the field. Um, he's in a Patrick Mahomes offense. So 
to me, there's a lot to like, and he had a, he had a really good game this past week too. Yeah. I, I, I like Rasheed Rice, right? There's a lot to like about him out of rookie wide receivers. He's third in PFF grade first in yards per route run second in targets per route run. As you said, I actually have him third behind Puka uh, and Demario, but either way, um, yeah. It, there, there's a lot to like from Rashi Rice. My my issue with him is I do think he's pretty much a one trick pony. Um, his a dot is only five point five. Um, so yeah. I looked at uh, I looked at all receivers with more than thirty targets this season, um, and that gives us a total. Uh, apologies, one sec. That gives us a total of eighty seven wide receivers. He is eighty sixth in average depth of target. Um, a full yard lower than Jackson Smith the Jigba, if that gives you an idea of things. 78% of his targets have been behind the line of scrimmage or within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Um, that's pretty terrible. Uh, he is awful against man defense, uh, uh, against man. His win rate versus man is just terrible. So he's really just a zone beater that they're using a lot in manufactured touches. Um I view him as a guy who's going to be a useful role player for a long time, but I think yeah. that you can't extrapolate his 25% target per route run to higher number of routes. I just don't see him ever being an elite option there. I think KC is still looking for their elite option, but yeah. being paired with Patrick Mahomes and being a good zone wide receiver and a short weapon is useful. You know, he's sec he's ninth in the NFL in yards after catch per reception. Um, there's a lot to like from Rice, but I think that there's a ceiling as well, and it's not that high. Yeah, I was going to go ahead and, and uh, point out the ADOT issue as well and just the, all the short targets. Um, that is definitely the knock. He, I mean, he's basically what people wanted Kadarius Tony to be in this offense, right? Like yeah. he's getting those manufactured touches. He's being very efficient on limited volume. Um, but like you said, that can come with some ceiling concerns. For what it's worth in week 12, he, he was able to get up to 68% of the routes um, had a 32% target share in that game, but again, an eight out of 4.4. So still, still those very short area touches. He's going to have to prove that he can, you know, succeed somewhat down the field, uh, on, on normal routes, um, in order to really work in a full-time role. So that still remains to be seen, but his, his trade value is certainly going up. Um, I like, I like that. And he's probably going to carry some, some hype, uh, into the off season about, you know, future potential breakouts. Yeah. And, and you mentioned his big, big week 12, he only had three routes more than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage in week 12. So just to show that he's still really only being used in the short game. Yeah. So definitely some concern there. Got to take that into account. I think there's a pretty good gap um, Same, from rice sure. to the next tier of guys where you, these are some like really legit players who, all have you know maybe some concerns, but lots of of green flags, uh, if you will, about you know future upside. And while he is fourth for you, um, he's sixth for me, and he does end up here as our next guy, and that's Josh Downs. Yeah, um, love Josh Downs. I was definitely too low on him coming into the rookie draft season. I I didn't see a lot of upside for him. I didn't, I didn't think he was even going to play like in two wide receiver sets. And I was worried about the volume with Anthony Richardson. And he is, I mean, he's just surpassed all of that and proven himself to just be a lot, I guess, just a lot better than I gave him credit for. Um, but he, he has been awesome this year. He's got on the season. He has, um, sorry, I still have week 12 stats in front of me. 
on the season, he's looking at, you know, 22% targets per outrun, 19% target share. Um, and that's come up a lot in recent weeks as his role has grown in the offense. He, he's basically matching Michael Pittman for targets, you know, recently. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've been high on downs. Why don't you talk about him a little bit here? Yeah. So downs was my wide receiver two really uh coming out of the draft i had him just behind jackson smith ajigba and yeah i agree there's a big tier gap here so i i classified this next tier as elite role players where i view them as you know probably the second best wide receiver on a team could probably be a second or third option on a fantasy team as well Josh Downs has been awesome this year. Some of my favorite numbers for him. First of all, Matt Harmon's reception perception absolutely loved him. He was first among rookies against both man and zone success rate. And his 82% success rate and 86% success rates would have ranked first and third respectively out of all 2022 wide receivers. So he's already an elite separator and elite route runner uh, player profile has his 53% win rate versus man defense as fifth in all of the NFL this season. So he is already an elite route runner, and that's exactly what we saw in college. He has zero drops, and he has become a go-to third and fourth down target. He is 12th in the NFL on third and fourth down targets. But what's crazy about that is those 29 targets are only on 69 targets total because he has missed some time due to injury. He's the highest percentage of third and fourth down targets in the NFL. It just shows that he is a clutch player. He's going to be a go-to guy. The issue comes with quarterback, and that's why I can see why you have him at sixth. I can see why you would put Flowers and Addison above him, uh, particularly Flowers because of the quarterback. Josh Downs in week one and week four, when Anthony Richardson played a full game, only saw 13% targets per route run. So there is some concern there, but I just think he is an excellent player, um, an elite slot weapon. Uh, he has the third highest slot rate of anyone in the NFL, so that's clearly his role. Um, I, I just think he's going to be an excellent player for a long time. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you, you want to rank the talent above the situation. Like We, yeah. we don't know exactly how things are going to play out. You know, Richardson can still grow as a passer. Um, and and I'm sure he'll eventually see what downs can be as a as a receiver. Um, I guess they should change his name to Josh third and fourth downs. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I love downs. I, I'm really I've been doing some soul searching trying to figure out how to rank him alongside Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, because there's definitely some anchoring bias that goes on with these first round players. You know, we invested in them a lot more highly. The NFL invested in them more highly. Um, and so it's it's kind of hard to navigate, like, weighing our priors because the priors matter in the sense that they have more value insulation and the fact that the NFL liked them more is, like, it's predictive. But then you also look at the the player's actual production. That's got to weigh in, too. So this is, like, a constant struggle. Ultimately, I can just put them all in the same tier as a cop-out and just say, you know, whichever one's the cheapest in your league is the one you should go and get. Um but it is, is, would you explore, like, since you have downs ahead of Zay or Addison, would it be worth your while to even go and explore, like, tearing down from those two guys to try to get downs plus? Absolutely. And, and to be clear, I have downs above personally. I would not recommend trading Zay Flowers or Jordan Addison for Josh Downs because right. I always like to play with a value-based mindset. Um, yeah, I absolutely would do that. I think that Josh Downs is a better player than those two. I think he could easily have more production in those two next season. 
Um, and it's not like Flowers and Addison are helping you that much this season. They're all basically, you know, wide receiver three flex options. So if you can tear down, get a second round pick on top, I would absolutely do that. I think especially from Jordan Addison, you could probably get a pretty big plus to go down to Josh Downs. Um, all of these these three players that we're talking about, would you give a late first for these guys? Hmm. Um. Let's say let's say you're the four seed. You're, you're see, not gonna, my, you're not going to get a buy. See, my initial instinct was like yes for Addison and Flowers and no for Downs, but I just said they're in the same tier, so I know that that's not right. That's just my brain doing weird things. Um, if I have a if I have a buy, I, I think I'd go ahead and do that. Um, yeah. If it still has the potential to be like a 107, 108 pick, I, I don't feel the need. Like I don't think that they've shown themselves to be such elite players that I can't replicate that with a first round pick um i think there's there's still more upside in the pick and more flexibility into the offseason um so these are guys where like i'm trying to acquire them but not really with picks i'm trying to acquire them by offloading like older wide receivers that are sort of in that zone um if i'm you know if i'm tearing things down i'm trying to flip my running backs to, to people that can use them things like that uh, i wouldn't necessarily go out of my way to try to buy this archetype of a wide receiver with rookie picks. Cause it's like you're sacrificing liquidity and you're sacrificing some level of upside for what, yes, it's a sure thing, but it's like, is it a sure thing that's ever going to put 18 points per game in your lineup? Probably not. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, what you can do is try to use, let's say you're falling out of the playoffs. You could try to use, you know, a vet plus your, you know, early to mid second. So like, Cortland yeah. Sutton and a second or something like that. Chris Godwin, Terry yeah. McLaurin, like those guys for me, I'm happy to yeah. add to them to get these receivers. If people still think, you know, those are really great players that they can, you know, trust in their flex or whatever. Um, that's kind of how I would like to do that uh, and get out of those middling players. Um, but yeah, next on our, so the next guy above downs, it was really a tie between Addison and Zay. They both came in in the same spot. I went ahead and put Zay next because I have Addison one spot ahead of him. Um, so Zay Flowers comes next. And he was the one, I mean, he came out week one with like the 38% target share or whatever. And it was like, oh man, it's wheels up for Zay Flowers. It was, it was a lot of manufactured touches, but it was still like really good to see. Um, but as the year has gone on, I don't know. It seems like his role has shifted a little bit. Um, he's he's still gotten some of those manufactured touches, but it seems like less so in, in recent weeks. Maybe losing Andrews is affecting things too. I'm not sure, but you, you were kind of low on Flowers as a prospect, uh, yeah. if I recall correctly. So what have you seen from him so far this year? You know, you, you talked about Rasheed Rice as kind of a gadgety player. Um, is it fair to say flowers is more than that? A lot, like a good amount more than that. I think he is more than that. Um, Zay flowers. So I, I mentioned earlier, Rashi rice, 78% of his targets have been within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. That number is 64 for Zay flowers, which is closer to a guy like Demario Douglas, uh, than a guy like Rashi rice. And Zay Flowers, at least we've seen some elite skills from him. So, you know, 24% missed tackle rate is way higher than all of the other rookies we're comparing him to. You know, JSN, Downs, Puka, Douglas, these guys are all below 14%. Uh, so clearly a big weapon after the catch. Um, the 25% target rate, I, I like that a lot. 
Uh, but it's a low average depth of target. Um, as I met, as you mentioned, it's a lot of manufactured touches. He is a better player against zone defense. And to me, what really shown for when going through these numbers was he's fourth in the NFL in play action targets and the highest percentage of his targets are coming off of play action. So whether these are the manufactured touches on like an RPO essentially, mm-hmm. or whether these are play action rollouts where he's been used on deep crossers, clearly that's a way that they're getting him open. I don't think he's going to be a wide receiver that creates space for himself. I think he needs the offense to create space for him, but he can thrive when they do. So I have him kind of in that like Robert Woods, Golden Tate, level wide receiver in terms of a career outlook for a guy like flowers. I think he's a good player, but I don't see, you know, wide receiver one upside for him. Yeah. So you're looking at kind of a, just a a year in and year out kind of wide receiver two guy who, you know, maybe he has a season where he runs hot on touchdowns or something and and he can give you that wide receiver 12 type of year. But, um, but yeah, he's probably not going to break your league and that's why he's, like like we talked about you know not the kind of guy i want to go out and send a first rounder for because um the thing about it's like hypothetically you can say sure the value works out but like you only get one first rounder that you can go ahead and trade for somebody um ultimately i like to aim a little bit higher and just see how can i work this pick into a trade for like a true difference maker somebody that's either going to help me win this year or somebody that I think is a true like building block for my team. And I don't think flowers is that I think he's going to be a very useful guy, somebody you're going to certainly want to have, especially in like your start three wide receiver leagues for a long time. Um, but not a, uh, a game changer per se. And, uh, and I think that applies to Jordan Addison as well, who I, I have these guys basically back to back, like depending on who had the better week, better week last week, I might move one ahead of the other. Um, but you did have flowers one spot ahead of Addison. I had it flipped. So could you tell me, we'll move into the Addison discussion. And why don't you start by telling me why is flowers marginally ahead of Addison for you? Uh, he's a better route runner, uh, in my opinion, by a significant margin, uh, according to player profiles, a flowers was 12th, um, in uh, win rate first man this season. Uh, Jordan Addison was outside the top 60. Uh, not what you want to see. Um, I also think that Jordan or, I also know that Jordan Addison will never be the wide receiver one on his team and he doesn't have a long-term quarterback. So I view flowers as the slightly more talented player, but basically a toss up with a better situation. So that that's why I have flowers higher. Right. And I guess those, the success first man probably has something to do with those concerns about like press coverage and stuff too, um, with, exactly. his, with his frame. Um, and and the other thing is Addison is getting a little bit. So he has eight end zone targets this year. He's the only rookie with more than five. Right. Um, I don't think that there's anything about Addison's profile that tells me that that's sustainable. So I view him running a little bit hot in touchdowns. Um, he's had a few big plays. I Again, I think it's really flipping a coin between these two, but I, I will take flowers. You don't think the skinny guy that can't beat press coverage is a, he's not a feature, <laughs> featured end zone weapon? It's crazy, right? I mean, yeah. I think a lot of it is the Vikings didn't have a rushing touchdown until like week 10. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't think that that's going to continue. Yeah, it's it's pure variance for sure. Um, he is averaging a solid 15 points per game since Jefferson's been out. But again, a, a large part of that does come from the touchdowns. So he's been more useful this year than flowers in your lineup than, you know, JSN. Um, 
but it is important to remember that that variance with the touchdowns is playing into that. And also we shouldn't project Justin Jefferson to miss most of the season, you know, every year. So that is a problem for him. And uh, and again, it's it's razor thin with me for Flowers and Addison. Both have some red flags, both have some positives to their profile. Ultimately, both wide receiver two types moving forward. And, um, and what I think is interesting is a guy that you had below Flowers Nadison, who I have a full tier above, uh, is yeah. Jackson Smith the Jigba. So before I tell you why I am in on him, <laughs> yeah. why do you have him below Flowers and Addison? Uh, honestly, like, okay, this is this is really tough for me. I have them together in a tier, and it's just JSN has just been so underwhelming since the start yeah. of the year, um, which I'm sure you know, but as we kind of talk through the the profiles of Addison and flowers and sort of like look at how their ceilings are maybe a little bit limited. I am tempted to, to go back to the drawing board on this and, and really think about it because with JSN, at least we, we believe in theory that that ceiling is there uh, based on his college production. Like you, you don't just outproduce Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson in college by accident. Like it doesn't, that means something. Um, and that does mean enough to give him some leeway in the NFL. So, you know, so far this season, um, he's he's down at 18% target share, 18% targets per out run. That's worse than like a lot of guys that we've talked about so far. Yeah. Um, but competing with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, that matters. The Seattle offense has just been like totally out of sorts at times. That matters. And he, he's flashed some plays in recent weeks. So this is kind of a situation where, I, I actually won't be surprised if two, three weeks from now, JSN has retaken his spot ahead of those guys for me. Um, and maybe you're just being a little more forward thinking here. So what are you, are you seeing kind of an upward trend from him recently? Yeah. So um, on the season, Zay Flowers yards per route run 1.58, Jordan Addison 1.60, Jackson Smith, a Jigba, if you exclude the first four weeks where he basically wasn't playing and certainly wasn't being targeted, uh, his yards per route run is sorry, 1.62. So ahead of those other two guys, basically in the same exact range, um, much like Dalton Kincaid, I don't like the way that JSN is being used. Uh, his 6.6 average depth of target is 83rd in the NFL, uh, again, out of 87 players. So it's not great, but we're seeing him, flash quite a bit recently um 80 success rate for his own is very solid fifth in target separation according to next gen stats uh geno smith's been pretty bad this season maybe we get a new quarterback tyler lockett nine million of dead cap and 17 million of savings if he's cut after the year i just see a lot of runway for jsn to improve i thought he was mm. way better as a prospect and nothing that he hasn't looked bad. I mean, he had that awesome one-handed catch last week, but he hasn't looked bad. He's just not being used in the right way. And Flowers and Addison haven't looked great. So to me, I'm just going to stick with my preseason priors. I think, like you said, in this range, I want to go for upside. And I think that there still is some superstar upside for JSN. I don't yeah. think it exists for the other two guys. It's a very definitely a compelling case. Um, the the yards per outrun point is, is key because – you know, Addison runs so many routes uh, for the Vikings. And so like his volume stats are higher. Um, but when you do look under the surface like that and you see, you know, relative to the number of pass plays in the offense, 
he actually hasn't been all that more productive, all that much more productive than JSN. So that is a key point. Um, Again, I'm taking all this. Honestly, I like I brought you on the show for selfish reasons. Like I wanted to know what you thought. And so I thought we'll just record it for everyone else. But like, it's really (laughs) Um, and so I, I really I do like that take. I don't have a lot of JSN. I didn't get much of him during rookie drafts. And I just have been kind of hesitant to pull the trigger on any kind of like trades for him. But, um, but something I, I might want to look into here with the, just with the, the improvements recently. And, and like you said, things might break his way uh, during the off season. So, yeah. And, and he's a guy that I, I would probably trade a playoff first for him. Um, oh yeah. I think I would do that. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And the fact that I was so quick to say that I would do that makes me think I need to go ahead and change my rank. Um, yeah. Cause I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, uh, like a end of the first, you know, end of the round first round pick for him with his prospect profile, it seems like such a no brainer. Um, so I think I was a little too fixated on maybe the downside and not seeing all the upside there, but that is a good point. Um, but I think we can both agree. There are two wide receivers that yeah. have distanced themselves from the rest of the class. Uh, it was, it was a tier of one for a little while there and We've had a, a new challenger approach in recent weeks. Neither of these guys had the first round pedigree. Both were guys that I overlooked during the uh, the rookie draft process. I, I drafted zero shares of Pukunakua uh, in rookie drafts. And I think I had one tank Dell that I traded for a 2025 second after week two. So wasn't feeling too great about that. Um, but we're going to talk about Puka next because this was a, this was a dead tie. I had tank one Puka two. You had Puka one and tank two. I'm breaking the tie in my favor. So Puka Nakua comes next. He is, I mean, he's been awesome this season. He's got a 30% target share on the year. He's eighth in the NFL in total targets. Um, I think he's like ninth in fantasy points per game. Um, he's up over 16. So, I mean, he's just been, he's been phenomenal. Talk to me about Puka Nakua and, um, and why he is your rookie wide receiver one. Yeah, and and honestly, I I want to talk to you about this too because these two were incredibly close, and I am not confident that I have Puka over Tank. Um, the reason I had Puka higher is simply the things that he's been doing ha- have almost never been done before, as far as a rookie goes. He's essentially having the best rookie season outside of Chase and OBJ. Um, he has dropped off quite a bit. Uh, that's important to note. Uh, part of that coincides with Cooper cup coming back, but it's not like Cooper cup's been doing that well. Uh, and as we talked about earlier, Puka is still getting seven or more targets in basically every single game. So Mm. not a lot to dislike on Puka, uh, you know, 33% air yard share is awesome. Um, 13th in PFF grade on the season, uh, 27% target rate. The problem with Puka is that he does not have the prospect profile and, I don't think the film is that good. Like he's really like, if you ask me what he's really good at, he's excellent at finding holes in the zone. He has really good hands. He's pretty good after the catch. I like his body control. I don't know that he's that explosive. I don't know that he's that excellent of a route runner. Uh, I don't know that he's that physical. I, I don't, I I don't know. I, I like Puka a lot. Obviously he's great. I think people, like I recently posted a poll, him or a first round pick that was based or a late first. It was basically 50, 50. I think that's insane. Like yeah. you have to take Puka Nakua as a top 15 dynasty guy. I have him in the top 12. Um, I think pretty comfortably, but yeah, 
I, I don't know. I, I'm rambling. What, what do you I, think? I, I have both these guys in my top 12 dynasty wide receivers. I mean, like you said, it's unprecedented what he's been doing. Um, honestly, I don't, I don't even attribute the recent weeks to Cooper cup necessarily. I think they had the game where Stafford got hurt, um, mm-hmm. which hurt, which impacted things. Then you had the game with Brett Rippon, which you can just throw that right out the window. That guy couldn't do a, a thing, uh, in that game. And then, you know, this past week, they absolutely blow out the Cardinals. You have the weird, like, Kyron Williams receiving touchdowns. They hardly even need to throw the ball or try to get the ball to their playmakers for most of that game. I, I think it's just variance. You know, you look at the first five weeks of the year for CeeDee Lamb, it was pretty similar. Like, the Cowboys were just blowing people out or getting blown out every week. Um, they weren't throwing the ball that much. And, you know, whatever, the production wasn't there. But if even if you split the season up, Weeks one through four, he had a 32% target share. Cup comes back. Since then, he's still had a 29% target share. So it's like, yeah. uh, I don't I don't even think Cup is like taking over. I think he's, Puka's still been the main target there. Um, I'm very, I'm very, very impressed with him. The the main thing for me that splits, the, there's two things that split the the two, Tank, Dell, and, and Puka Nakua. Um, you know, you look at since week eight, when Tank came back from an injury and really started getting that full route share, um, 93% routes in week eight. He's had a 26% targets, uh, target share, 26% targets per outrun. That's actually better than Puka during that stretch, but it's, it's pretty close to Puka season long on a per route basis. Um, but he's doing it at a much higher eight dot, you know, 14, eight out on the year versus Puka at eight. Um, and, and he's also playing with CJ Stroud, which is like absolutely huge for me because I, I see them as, if you want to say interchangeable as, as talents, or at least in the, the talents that score fantasy points, I'm going to take the guy that's got CJ Stroud for the foreseeable future versus the guy who has Matt Stafford, maybe for next year. And then who knows, right. Um, that's really the big dividing factor for me, which makes a lot of sense. I, it, it's tough. Like I, I do think that tank Dell, um, is a great player. Uh, I don't know if we want to start talking about him already, but you know, yeah, let's, you let's, just, let's just go back and forth. Yeah. You mentioned the last like four games, essentially he's got a 2.39 yards per route run in the last four games. That's great. Um, 30% air yard share on the season is 27th in the NFL. It, it's interesting. He's, he hasn't been used how you would expect to given his size. If you didn't watch any of his film where he is being used down the field, especially on outbreakers, he's been excellent on, you know, outs and comebacks and corner routes. Um, his a dot and slot rate is basically the same as guys like Mike Evans, Calvin Ridley, Jalen Waddle, Chris Alave. Despite the fact he's what five eight, he is really being used mm-hmm. um, as like the true Y receiver as an outside threat. Only twenty nine percent slot rate. Um, I think it's great for him that Nico Collins is there soaking up a lot of times the harder matchups and oftentimes the press matchups. So that's great as well. Yeah. Um, we still have only seen three good games for him. Um, three games with 114 or more yards. He hasn't gone above 72 in the rest of the games. So I still want to see a little bit more consistency. I know last week he had like a 60-yard uh, awesome catch that came back because of uh, what is a legal formation, something like that. But I, I don't have a lot to argue against Tank Dell. My question would be on both of these guys – do you view these guys as true superstars? Cause we've talked about how good of a wide receiver class this is, but I think the fact that we have third round pick tank Dell and seventh round pick Puka Nakua 
leading off our dynasty rankings. Not to not to fall too much into what it was previously, but I don't have either of these guys in my top eight. Um, I don't know if that's uh, rare or not, uh, but for such a good wide receiver class, there doesn't seem to be a true game breaker. No, I mean, I think that's consensus. I, th- I think you're probably still higher on these guys than the consensus because I think the community at large is pretty like fairly slow to catch up on these yeah. lower drafted players. But I mean, there's just a lot of elite wide receivers in the NFL right now. Like if you just think, you know, Jefferson Chase, Lamb, St. Brown, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, AJ um, Brown and Tyreek Hill. Right. That's eight already. So yeah. it's like, I, I think it's very fair to not have Puka or Tank ahead of any of those guys. Obviously with Tyreek, he's the, the sore thumb in terms of age there. Um, but like, it's okay. He's unless, got unless you're out run above four. <laughs> unless you're just, yeah, exactly. Unless you're just now starting like a two year rebuild, you shouldn't really care uh, about the age for Hill. Like he's still playing as good as anybody in the league he's only he's he's 29 like it's not i don't think the sky is falling with him um so i think it's very fair to have him there but i think that's where they belong like i think after that you get into you know devonta smith jalen waddle stefan diggs like i i don't i don't care if you have him ahead of any of those guys because what they've shown is is pretty much that they can they can match that so uh, that's that's where I have. I have the top eight you mentioned, and then I have uh, Tank Dell, Puka Nakua, uh, Ayuk, Waddle, and Devonta Smith in like yeah. kind of that next tier. Yeah, and I and I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know, like it's I've found over like over and over again that I just don't think that we're very good at evaluating upside. Like, I, like people were kind of mixed on Amon Ross St. Brown after his first season, but there were very few people that were like. Yeah, this guy's going to average 19 points per game, you know, over the course of his. I I I get a lot wrong. You mentioned Sky Moore earlier this episode. I get a lot wrong. (laughs) Uh, That was the one thing I was right on more than anything. I called him on Ross St. Brown, Antonio Brown, after that first year and said he was going to average 18 plus points a game. But then you deserve your props for that because what I heard from most people was like, yeah, I mean, he's going to get targets, but like he's probably, you know, kind of a wide receiver two type of guy. Like he doesn't get downfield targets. So, like, what's he really going to be? able to do he can't just have a 30 percent target share forever and it's like well you know so far that seems to be the case honestly with puka i I cannot speak to their film but in terms of like how they accumulate fantasy points i see a lot of similarities there like if he's going to have a 30 percent target share on these somewhat lower a dot routes but they're just gonna constantly hit him on these outbreaking routes like or in breaking routes um i don't really see why he can't be similar you know, to that archetype. And then with Dell, I, I kind of think he, I don't want to say he's like Tyreek Hill, but like, cause he's not, but he's like th- this guy. I mean, just watching him, not even being a film guy, but just like watching him, the plays that he makes, it just seems like he succeeds all over the field. And he's just like so dynamic and explosive that it's hard for me to count him out of, uh, of anything exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. I I, I am going to move Dell above Puka because I think the upside is just greater when you factor in that he has CJ Stroud. Like, yeah, th- there's a chance. Like, I, I think Tyreek Hill's an interesting comp. Um, one that I that Dell reminds me of quite a bit is Stefan Diggs. Um, okay. And I think he's more explosive. I think he's worse after the catch, but there's some similarities to Diggs there. Um, and if you told me, like, I think CJ Stroud is one of the top five pocket passers in the NFL already. And if Dell is going to be partnered with him for the next, you know, 
five to 10 years. That's obviously massive. One thing that we didn't talk about, which I think is important, particularly when speaking about comparing guys like Addison um, and Zay Flowers and Jackson Smith, the Jigba to guys like Tank Dell. Tank Dell is two and a half years older than Jordan Addison and Jackson yeah. Smith, the Jigba. He's two years older than Puka Nakua. I don't care that he's going to be 32 years sooner. That doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me. But when you look at his value, he needs to be unbelievably productive over these next few seasons um, from a market value perspective in order to maintain a top 12 status and then to make it actually worth it, right? Like he is less than a year younger than Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith. So I know he's a rookie and that's important, but let's not forget his age. That is, that is important. It's easy to forget, obviously, because there's just not a lot of rookie wide receivers that are already 24 during their, uh, during their rookie seasons. But it, it is pretty important to remember that. Um, I, I seem to forget it every week um, that is uh, his age, but it's a good point. He has to, he has to succeed like right away. Like you look at Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, like they're, they're not really having that like league breaking season that we would have hoped for this year. But it doesn't matter because they're both like 22, 23. Yeah. And they still have another year to like kind of come into their own. Um, what I will say with Tank is like it's a good sign that he's already scoring 16 and a half points per game on the year. Totally. Um, you know, he's he's outscoring Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle this year. So it's like I think it's very possible for him to deliver on that, especially if we have you know, we already have the quarterback in place. CJ Stroud, you know, is going to be one of those guys you want to bet on to lead the league in passing yards. So um, I do think that he's set up to to hit the ground running like right away, you know, in future seasons. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think it just needs to be noted that like, for instance, Nico Collins is six months older and has the same yards per route run this season as Tank Dell. So right. uh, again, I like Tank Dell. He's going to be partnered with CJ Stroud forever, hopefully. However, maybe CJ Stroud is just that good because Nico Collins certainly isn't that amazing, right? I have him at kind of 25, 26 in my dynasty Mm -hmm. ranks, but he's doing the same thing that Tank Dell is this season. So you you gotta, you gotta take it a little bit with a grain of salt. Yeah. I mean, if I've, if I'm learning anything from this discussion, it's that wide receiver evaluation is just super complicated. And, um, and ultimately, like, we're going to get a lot of stuff wrong trying to figure this out. You know, this top 10 might look ridiculous a year from now because there's just so many variables, so many things change. But with the information that we have, I, I think this is a very solid list. So I'm going to go top down now, um, 1 to 10. We've got Tank Dell and Pukunakua basically in a dead tie at the top. Slight nod to Tank Dell. Uh, then we have third, JSN, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Josh Downs, Rasheed Rice, Demario Douglas, Jaden Reed, and Quentin Johnston. Um, Where did you have Demario Douglas, by the way? I had him uh, just, I think, one spot behind. Like eight or nine. Had I had him right after Reed instead of right ahead of Reed. So right nice. there. Sounds but, good. But yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely on the rise. Um, I'm going to move us along quickly here to this last segment, and we'll, we'll do it pretty fast. But just a couple of questions. I want to talk about trade deadlines. Um, in, in leagues that have deadlines, they've either like already passed or they're coming up this week. So I'm not going to focus too much on like, what do you do at the trade deadline? But I want to get your thoughts, first of all, on whether you are mostly for or against trade deadlines, being in as many leagues as you are, I'm sure you're in some of both. Mm -hmm. Um, but what do you, what do you, what is your preference? Yeah. And I commissioned like 40 leagues or something like that. Um, 
all of mine have the same rule. You cannot trade in the playoffs. Um, you can trade right up until the, you know, week 14, but you can't trade in the playoffs. Um, okay. I am pretty strictly, um, and, uh, pro trade deadline. I would honestly, if I had my druthers would probably make it more like this week rather than week 12, uh, sorry, rather than week 14. Mm -hmm. The reason is, first of all, there's not a single sports league that I know of in the world where you can acquire a player during or right before the playoffs, uh, right. whether it's, you know, European soccer, where it's January, July, and August, whether it's, you know, every single American sports league, Trade deadlines exist for a reason, and I know that we play this game on paper and on computers, and there's not team chemistry and all this bullshit, but it just seems a little bit ridiculous to me that, you know, uh, let's say this Jonathan Taylor injury happened in week 15, that I could just go buy Zach Moss for like a third round pick um, and put him in and he'll be a top five running back on the week. So the argument against it, the argument for a trade deadline is that it's realistic to every single sports league ever. The mm -hmm. argument against a trade deadline is that it is technically optimal in terms of value for a league. It helps out rebuilders a lot to have no trade deadline because then, yeah. you know, my week 17 Zach Moss is now worth something, but I don't think it's worth that exchange. I think it's pretty stupid in a dynasty <laughs> league where, you know, you've 30 man rosters, to go pick up, you know, if there's no trade let in the playoffs, can one team use Adam Thielen in the semifinals, lose, and then trade him to the team they lost to for them to use in the finals? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it promotes, like, good team building. Um, but I don't feel, like, that strongly against it. I am in leagues with no trade deadline, and it was right. not, like, a, you know, a holdup for me. Gotcha. Well, I mean, it sounds like you feel fairly strongly about it, but... <laughs> Um, but no, I hear you. I mean, I think there's good arguments on both sides. I was a, I was a pretty firm trade deadline person for like the first two years I played dynasty. And then over time I've become more of a, more against it. Um, but I play in a pretty healthy mix, like about I'm almost like 50, 50, uh, in my leagues. I have like a little, uh, chart where I try to keep track of which leagues have deadlines and stuff. So I can make sure I make those moves first. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I so I think the best case I've heard against it was from Adam Harstad. He's he's kind of anti-trade deadline. Um, and he said basically something along the lines of what you said. Uh, it's just the idea of creating balance and parity in the league over time. Um, not having a trade deadline does allow those rebuilders to offload some of those expiring assets. Contenders, you know, if you're they're really backed against the wall, more likely to overpay for those assets like an Adam Thielen or something or a Zach Moss. And that redistributes value to other rosters in the process. Um, I do like how it kind of keeps everyone engaged during the fantasy playoffs because like unless your league has a consolation bracket or something, I, there's not a lot of reason for the teams out of the playoffs to even like check their sleeper app or be like even paying attention to how the playoffs are going. So I kind of like that the opportunity for trades keeps people paying attention, like builds a little bit of more excitement for the, uh, for the playoffs and actually lets kind of almost lets the teams that are out of it participate via trade. Um, so I, I do think that is at least something in the pros column. Um, but I've seen on Twitter, like people talk about the, the, no trade deadline leagues. It's like, well, it's just an arms race in the playoffs. And, you know, people are just going to go buy all these superstars in the playoffs. And then, you know, one guy's going to get a super team and everybody's going to quit the league or whatever. I think that's pretty overblown. Yeah. Um, you know, you think about most leagues, like 
even if there is a trade deadline, by the time the playoffs start, there's usually a couple of teams in the league that are already like super stacked that it's like, how do we beat these guys? And even if they're allowed to trade, there's nobody they're going to acquire. That's really going to increase their win equity by more than, you know, a couple percentage points. So honestly, I think most trades that happen during the playoffs are pretty suboptimal, like from an EV perspective. Um, and I kind of like letting contenders shoot themselves in the foot in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, I, I agree with that point, right? It's, it's helpful to the rebuilders to have no trade deadline or a later trade day trade deadline. I just, I just don't think it, I think you should get rewarded for building your team earlier. Right. And yeah, there, there's some rewards for that. That's why like I only play in leagues that have bye weeks. Cause I think, you know, you should yeah. have credit for having a good team all year. I just think it's like, I know this isn't a real sport, but it's just ridiculous to have a guy who was already on another playoff team. Who's now who has been on your team for a week. Who's now going to like be a big part of your playoff push. This isn't redraft where you're picking up guys off waivers. Like just, just do your business early. Like, like in week 12, go pick up. And I like it because it means that you have to build with more depth, right? Like Mm -hmm. you need to cover for injuries. I have a QB three, a starting QB three on all of my bye week teams. Even if I have Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, you yeah. know I'm rostering, you know, Derek Carr there because if one of those gets hurt, I need a quarterback to play. And I think it's stupid to just be able to trade for, you know, Gardner Minshew in week 16 if you need him. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think, or I mean, I agree with the the concept of it. I think it ultimately, a lot of it does come down to preference. Like what kind of a game do you want to play, right? It's, it's a little bit different strategy. You're talking about building depth, building a team that can, go the distance during that sprint, right? Like if you have Jonathan Taylor and he gets that injury in the fantasy playoffs, you don't have a backup. Like that is a huge blow to your, your championship opportunities. If you have to go roll out, like, I don't know, Khalil Herbert or whatever, uh, instead. So I I totally see it from that angle. And I think you just have to join leagues that like align with what you want to do as a player. I'm pretty flexible. Like I'm cool doing some that have deadlines and some that don't, and just trying to build my teams in different ways. Um, I think the more important point, you know, other than just sort of pontificating about the the pros and cons, I had to get you back for the egalitarian. So I, I, went I like it. it was a good one. Um, we could talk about like, how should you actually approach things differently if you don't have that deadline? And I think you've already hinted at it, which is you don't have to worry as much about depth. And I think in that case, like you want to go hard at the starting lineup. You want the best possible lineup of starters that you can, because you do have kind of a fallback. If you lose one of those guys, you don't need to be as prepared. So you can lean a lot of your dynasty value into that starting lineup. I think that is a key difference when you don't have a trade deadline. Yeah. And and that's why knowing your league rules is super important. Uh, that that's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. So, cause if you, you know, you lose a, a guy in your, in your playoffs, they're still going to have some value. You can go trade that guy and you can go get a fill in from somebody else. Most likely. Um, so you're ultimately just better off having like a full lineup of, of superstars if you can. I mean, that's best in any in any situation, but when you need to worry about injury fill-ins and stuff, you have to devote more of your roster value to that. So um, like I went out and bought Adam Thielen for a third from a, a tanking uh, a tanking team in one of my trade deadline leagues because I just wanted to have another guy. Like he's not yeah. a starter for me, but it was worth it for me to trade a third just in case I need a guy because I didn't want to have to start like I don't know, Hunter Henry or something in my flex, like if I didn't have a guy. So that's that's how you do it. But you can get 
you can get bit in these de deadline, no deadline leagues. Like when you have that temptation to trade and tinker with your lineup, like last year, I, um, I made a big trade to, uh, try to get Stefan Diggs because I lost Cooper cup. Like, I don't remember what week that was, but it was like during fantasy playoffs or like right before the fantasy playoffs. And I still had a pretty good lineup, but I was like, I need a, a heavy hitter. So I went out, I traded like cup plus plus to try to get digs. And then the guy put up four points in my lineup in the, yeah. in the finals. So it's like, you think you're building these super teams, but at the end of the day, a lot can happen in one week and that can really blow up in your face. Yeah. And I mean, all that you're doing is try to like up your percentages, but like, you know, Travis Etienne is averaging 18 fantasy points a game this year. Brian Robinson is averaging 14 fantasy points a game this year. Those yeah. four points give you like a 3% better chance of winning. Like it's, it's just, this is yeah. why this is such a heavy game of variance and the best team doesn't always win. So mm -hmm. while it's worthy to do it. And I mean, the bigger difference is getting, you know, Adam Thielen versus Hunter Henry, like you're saying. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, ultimately you should, the crux of your team, the core of your team should be built up well in advance. Yeah. And, and that's also why if you're going to make big purchases and uh, buy players, like you'd, you'd be better off doing that early in the year that's to a help you get a bye week. Yeah. That's the single biggest thing you can do to actually give yourself a chance to win. Like acquiring an upgrade in week 17 during championship week, it, that, boost to your odds just pales in comparison to the difference between being the five seed and being the two seed. Like it's just, it's night and day. So that's really when you want to go and make your big trades. You don't want to just like try to survive the year and then buy pieces later, like build the super team. You're still better off doing that um, ahead of time, even if you don't have a trade deadline in your league. So, yep. Agreed. That's a good point. Um, all right. Perfect. We got through that talk then. And I, I definitely liked hearing the other perspective. I, I totally see the, the pros to the deadline. So if you guys are watching on YouTube, by the way, leave a comment uh, on the video and tell me if your league has a trade deadline, whether you like it or you don't like it, uh, all that stuff. Mike, by the way, I did just get offered a uh, Puka straight up for Tank Dell and I declined it. So I guess you convinced me. Progressed. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> you convinced me on Tank. I think I convinced you on JSN. So yeah, you know, we're, we're both learning stuff as it's, we go. It's a great show if we're both changing our rankings afterward. That is yep. how you know it was a fruitful discussion. So love to hear it. Um, those two guys, though, are are great. I think they're they're definitely close. Um, before we get out of here, Mike, any final thoughts uh, about today's show or just anything? Uh, Keaton Mitchell has a 55% missed tackle rate. That is crazy. <laughs> uh, that's my final thought, completely random. Uh, otherwise, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, go follow Mike on Twitter at Dynasty Zoltan FF. Go get his uh, Patreon as well. He was just citing a whole bunch of really cool stuff from that historic data and everything that he writes up on there and does a lot of things. So go check out his Patreon as well um, and his podcast, the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Um, I am Paul Patterson, and you can follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore DFF. You can find any of my written work over at DynastyFootballFactory.com. If you're listening to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a rating and follow the show, that would be awesome. If you're on YouTube, if you could subscribe, also be awesome. Otherwise, just have a great week. I hope you can qualify for your fantasy playoffs, maybe get a bye week, and I'll see you here next Tuesday. Mm -hmm.